going on? How are we doing? Good. It's good to be here. Uh, good to get to see so many of you guys. Uh, it's always fun on Sunday morning to see. I know there's a lot of our relationships that only happen like once a week, you know, but it's amazing how even just seeing each other once a week, we can build these deep relationships and how much joy it brings, at least in my life, to see um, so many of you guys on Sunday and connect with you. Um, I'm just thrilled to get to continue on this series where we're really talking about these unique values. How specifically has God wired us and crafted us and, and what is he doing in our lives? And this week we're looking at the concept of compelling content, right? How do we encourage each other with grace and truth that lead to transformation? And I saw this TED Talk video that I thought might be kind of helpful in getting this conversation started. So let's go ahead and watch that video. Hear that? That's nothing. Which is what I, as a speaker at today's conference, have for you all. I have nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. Zippo. Nothing smart, nothing inspirational, nothing even remotely researched at all. I have absolutely nothing to say whatsoever. And yet, through my manner of speaking, I will make it seem like I do. Like what I am saying is brilliant. And maybe, just maybe, you will feel like you've learned something. Now, I'm going to get started with the opening. I'm going to make a lot of hand gestures. I'm going to do this with my right hand. I'm going to do this with my left. I'm going to adjust my glasses. And then I'm going to ask you all a question. Uh, By show of hands, how many of you all have been asked a question before? Okay, great. I'm seeing some hands. And again, I have nothing here. (laughs) All right. So that goes on for about 15 minutes. And I completed it because I finished the tasks I start. Yeah, it's amazing. For like 15 minutes, this guy completely keeps your attention saying nothing. And I had a similar experience like that one time we were in San Francisco and there was like this street performer and this guy like kept pulling like swords and like torches out of his bag and come on guys, the show's about to start. And he's like drawing lines with chalk on the ground. And for like 15 minutes, we watched this guy riveted, waiting for this show to begin. And finally it gets all done and Nothing happens, and he gets out his tip bag, and he's like, thanks for coming. Please put your tips in. And we were all so entertained by the nothingness of this guy's show that we were like, well, I guess we better tip him. We just, we stood here and waited for 15 minutes. Um, And I think that's not an example of compelling content, right? It's compelling. It's interesting. It holds our attention for a while, and it, it might entertain us, but there's no content there. And if we came to church every Sunday and that's what we got, we came here and, and we heard lots of good stories and it was a lot of fun and it was entertaining. But, but in the end, we walked away getting nothing, hearing nothing from God. We would probably quit coming pretty quick, right? Eventually, we'd find something more entertaining to do, something that seemed more compelling in our life. And we would just, we'd probably bail out. And so this morning, what I want us to talk about is What is that content that compels us? What is it that draws us in? What is it that is so inspirational, so motivational, so encouraging, so challenging, so convicting 
that we want to come back and hear the word of God. And when we go to our life groups, that we go to our life groups, not just to, to have an interesting discussion, but we go knowing that the word of God, that God will change our lives. And I, and I think that we would all agree that, that that compelling content is the word of God, is scripture, is, is the Bible. It's God's word to us that challenges us, that it convicts us, that it draws out the brokenness in our life and it calls us to something beautiful, something that transforms us. It makes clear a path of salvation, a path of hope for each of our lives. As we are going through our um, kind of this process as a church of kind of soul searching and okay, how has God uniquely crafted us? And some of the things that came out were pretty obvious, right? Like, you know, we as a church, most of us are here because we enjoy being part of a diverse community, right? We, so that was easy. We kind of, okay, that's something unique about us. And um, family, you know, enrichment was something that was like, yeah, of course, we're a church that loves families. We've got lots of young families here. We've got great programs for kids. That's a value of ours. And this one didn't come up right away, but I think once it did, it became like, yeah, clearly that is core to us. If we aren't focused around something that matters and we believe that it's the word of God, it's scripture, if we're not focused around that, if that's not the content that we're encouraging and compelling each other, we're, we're missing the point. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at kind of a, a bit of a summary. We're going to look at two major passages in the book of 2 Timothy. And I think this book is helpful for us because 2 Timothy is... Uh, Paul is writing a book to um, his mentee, Timothy. And it's kind of at the end of Paul's life. And Timothy is a pastor. And he wants to encourage Timothy of the things that he believes matter most. And so throughout the book of 2 Timothy, I encourage you to, to read the book of 2 Timothy. You will see over and over and over again that Paul, the number one thing he wants to encourage Timothy on is, hey, teach the word of God. Teach out scripture. Let it dwell deeply in your life. In fact, in the very first part of Timothy, he tells Timothy, he says, guard the good deposit that, that has been given to you. He talks about like your grandma and your mom, they passed on this truth to you. And it's like a deposit that's been deposited into your soul. Use it well. And throughout the book, he describes what that looks like. And that looks like one being transformed by that deposit, that good news. Another using it to encourage and to build up and to teach and to correct others. So we're going we're gonna to look at that. And so if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to start in 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 19. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 19. I'll give you a second to get there. And as we read through this passage, one of the, the points that stood out to me, and maybe will stand out to you, is that compelling content starts with me. So this is a passage where Paul is really encouraging Timothy to use the content of Scripture for the benefit of others. But you can see also that there's this reality that's going on that it has to start with me. That if I just teach something that's not true for myself, I become a, a hypocrite. It's ugly. And he kind of uses this idea that God knows you. God has called you. So let's go ahead and read that together. It says this. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words that do no good, but only ruin the hearer. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, 
rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it leads people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and uh, Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who you are. And let everyone whose name of the Lord um, depart from iniquity. It's powerful words, isn't it? Here he is speaking to him. He's saying, okay, here is what matters. Make sure people aren't wasting their life talking about all of these other things that don't matter. But for you, present yourself to God as one worthy. You don't need to be ashamed. And he talks about these people that are leading others astray. And he comes back to this powerful point in verse 19 where he says, the, um, the Lord knows who you are. Let everyone whose names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I think in another way to say this is God defines you. We don't define him. The goal of spiritual pursuit is not to make up who we think God is, is not to create a life for ourselves that we think should be. The goal of our spiritual pursuit is to know the one who knows you, who made you, who defined you. And we have this opportunity to, as a result of that, follow in obedience to him, to depart from iniquity. Then Paul goes on and gives this really kind of graphic illustration. And I was laughing with some of the people in the office that I can use this illustration because it's in the Bible. But I think if I was to use this illustration just by myself, you guys would be like, dude, you are so crude. Why are you using that illustration? That's inappropriate. Not at church, please. You know, but Paul said it first. So he goes on to use this illustration. He goes, all right, so in a house, and he's talking about like a rich mansion, not, not probably just a normal house, but this a mansion, you're going to have a couple of different kind of bowls, right? You're going to have your fancy bowls. They're going to be covered in gold and silver and stuff like that. And when you got company over, you're going to get out your fancy bowls. And you're going to put your little dates or whatever you're serving to your company, and you're going to put that out on the table. But then you got other bowls that are made out of wood or clay, and you've got some less than noble uses for those, right? You got your porta potty bowls, right? And you got, you got those bowls and you got your fancy bowls. And then he goes on to say something I think is really encouraging, at least was really encouraging to me. He goes on to say, So use your life for noble things, so clean up your life. And I think the point he's making is God designed us. For noble purposes. But most of us have been filling our life with, with junk, with garbage, with stuff that's worse than junk and garbage, right? We've been filling our lives with waste. And the beauty of that is that can still be redeemed. That can be cleaned up. That can be still used again for noble purposes. Now, I'm confident if I took one of my wife's nice bowls we don't have nice bowls, but if I took one of our fancy Tupperware bowls and I used it for ignoble purposes, right? I used it to clean the toilet or do whatever. That, that bowl goes in the garbage. It never gets used again for noble purposes, right? But that's not the case with our lives. That no matter how messed up, no matter how broken our lives is, we can be redeemed. 
And he goes on right after that illustration. He goes, so flee for these, from these youthful desires. Flee from this brokenness that, that used to define your life and pursue God. And how do we do that if our lives are not founded firmly in the content of Scripture? If we don't have God's word that's pointing out our brokenness, that's pointing out our failures, that's showing us what is noble and what is innoble. Because I don't know about you guys, but there are times in my life I have a really hard time even knowing what is noble and what is not noble. There are certain things I know are right and wrong, like don't kill somebody. I'm pretty good at that one. But what does it mean to be honest? What does it mean to be pure? What does it mean to be trustworthy? What does it mean to be righteous? These are things that are challenging. So we need scripture. We need compelling content to point that out in our life. There's another thing I I see in this passage, and that's that not everything we talk about at church is necessarily beneficial, right? He goes on and he's talking about all these different people who are speaking all of this different content But that all of these words, all the things people are talking about, it doesn't lead to life transformation. It doesn't build people up. It doesn't make people better. It actually breaks people down. It leads people away from pursuing God. He says, remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words that do no good and only ruin the hearers. He goes on, he says, avoid irreverent babble, for it leads people into more and more ungodliness. It spreads like gangrene like a disease that pollutes the whole body, that starts small and it grows and it grows until it affects the health of everything. That's kind of um, scary a little bit. It's kind of ugly. But I think we all know that to be true. I don't think any of us, if you've been at church very long, would say that everything that's talked about in a church environment or in your life group environment or even uh, from the pulpit is always beneficial, always builds people up, always points people to more ungodliness. There are things that we talk about that just become so petty and they just, we can use scripture and we weaponize scripture to beat each other down instead of using it for the purpose that it was intended to be used for. Or we we find minor doctrinal issues that we choose to divide each other over. We start fighting over stuff that that really doesn't matter. And we go, okay, well, when's the rapture happen? If you don't believe it happens when I believe, then you're a heretic, you're out, you're gone. Or who's going to go to heaven? Who's not going to go to heaven? Or all these kind of weird conversations that we have that, that end up dividing each other. Or at times it becomes about our preferences, the things that we like. We, we elevate to doctrinal positions. Well, so-and-so, when they preach this way, that's the way I like it, or when that best thing is that way. I remember at the church I was at before here up in Oregon, we had kind of two pastors that, that preached regularly, and they both really held very similar theological beliefs, and um, they approached Scripture in a very similar way, but they had very different styles. And there became a point in the church, the church began to get unhealthy, and people started fighting over the style of the preacher. Well, I like so-and-so because they tell more stories. And I like so-and-so because they're more emotional and they're more in touch with me. And I feel, and it became this weird gangrene that tore apart the church. Or maybe even more dangerous is when we start to use scripture to make our own agenda instead of teaching what the scripture actually teaches, right? And we start, that's where you see heresy and these lies that infiltrate the church. 
And, and so um, it, it tears us apart. It can break us down. We have this saying in our, our church that we use sometimes that we're about majoring on the major and minoring on the minors. And what we mean by that is we believe that, that all of those doctrinal issues, no matter how big or how small, are worth talking about, but we're going to major on the things that matter most, what, what leads us to salvation in Jesus. That's what we're going to focus on the most, and we'll talk about those other things, but in their right context. And I think when we elevate those minor things to majors is when problems can really start happening. An illustration of what I think maybe that kind of looks like. Imagine this. Imagine you're clinging to a side of a cliff, right? Maybe you got like a root that's kind of stuck out of the cliff and you're hanging and there's a big river below you, a thousand feet below. And somebody up top goes, hey, I've got a rope. You want me to throw it over to you? And you go, um, well, what's the tested strength of the rope? And they're like, well, it says a 3,000 pound strength. Like, well, is that a static strength or is that like a load tested strength? What's the condition? Does the condition look like it's in good? Is it frayed on the ends? How long is the rope? Right? At some point you go, seriously, just throw the rope over and we'll figure this thing out, right? And I think sometimes we do that as Christians, that we go, yes, it is through faith in Jesus alone, but how do you come to that faith? What does that faith look like? Was that faith something you did? Is that safe? And we start dividing each other and we pull apart instead of looking for what, what matters most. Now, we're not going to spend a ton of time talking about all of the different um, kind of heresies or false truths that can pop up in the church, because I'm not sure that's necessarily the best way to look at it, because things are changing, and it's fluid, and it's, it's challenging to, to find all those things. But I think what Second Timothy does Instead of chasing down all of those false beliefs, it points us back to the one thing that keeps us focused, the one thing that keeps us on the correct course, that, that compelling content that matters, and it points it clearly to being Scripture, to being the Word of God, to being the Bible. So if you want to flip over a couple of pages um, to 2 Timothy, and we're going to do 3.14 through five, four five here. So we'll read a little bit here. And in this, we see, I think, really clearly that, that the content that, that really compels us as a church, as a community, as a life group, is Scripture itself. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which you have been able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the man and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itchy ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, 
do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's beautiful words, I think. And it's words that point us back to what is true, what, what matters most. In this, again, you see that point that, that we made earlier that not everything we talk about at church is always compelling content. It's always the right content. He's saying there's going to be people that are going to have itchy ears. It's a weird expression. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, but that they will just be drawn to all these different things. And instead of seeking what is true, what is right, we as humans, we have this brokenness in our life to pursue people that affirm our own biases, right? I believe the world looks this way, so I'm going to find teachers and books and stuff that confirm that bias and news that confirms that bias in my life. And what's the answer to that? The answer is not to fight against every one of those things, but it's to stick to Scripture. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It comes from the very source of God. He says, You've been, this has been passed down to you. You've become acquainted from these sacred writings which have been given to you. And let me tell you what these sacred writings are. These are not just wise words. These are not just interesting tidbits. These are not just thoughts of the day. This is the very breath of God breathed into this for us. It's amazing. It's a powerful truth for us to get our mind around. And he's saying, because that is true, because the words in this book are so powerful, are so transformational, then use your life to focus it around these things. Make sure your conversations are about this. When you come and you're talking about things, when you're giving advice, when you're encouraging each other, when you're teaching, when you're correcting, all of these things, don't just do it out of your own wisdom. Don't just do it out of what you think is right. Seek out what scripture says about that and use that to build each other up. Use that to correct. Use that to encourage. It's, it's really a powerful concept. Imagine we just celebrated uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? So imagine we had some sort of time capsule thing and we could get Dr. King in here with us this morning. And I was doing an interview with Dr. King and I introduce him and I just keep talking and talking and talking, right? And at some point, he's just standing here listening to me talk. At some point, you would probably start booing me, right? You'd be like, shut up. We don't want to hear you. We have to hear you every Sunday or every you know, couple of Sundays. We want to talk to this guy. We want to hear his wisdom. And he was a wise man, but a man. We have the word of God in front of us. The very breathed scripture of God. And he's saying, this is what matters. This is what we need to talk about. This is what we need to focus around. So let me talk specifically about life groups here for a second. I think life groups are a beautiful opportunity to live this out with each other. What does it mean for us to take the living, breathed out word of God and encourage each other with grace and truth in our life groups? And to me, I think it's not that complicated. I think the simplicity of it is what makes this so profound that all of us, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what your experience is, we can open up the God-breathed word of God We can read it. We can talk to each other about it. We can encourage each other about it. I know in my life group, it's really awesome that 
that I come, I have a, a seminary degree, I'm a professional pastor, and yet when it comes to the word of God, I'm not always the expert. Because the same spirit that lives in me is living in every member of our group. And so sometimes the person who hasn't been a Christian that long is reading this and is going, hey, this is what God is teaching me. And we're looking at it together and we're building each other up. We're encouraging each other. We're correcting each other. We're pointing each other towards the content that matters. So I encourage you to, to jump into a life group. And I encourage you in your life group too to focus on the scripture that is breathed out by God. There's lots of books we can read and at different points in time, I think Christian books and things like that can be healthy in our life group. But I would even go as far to say and to encourage you to make sure even if you're going through a a Christian book or whatever, that the stuff that you are encouraging each other with is not the wisdom of the author in that book. It's not the wisdom of a pastor or of a teacher because that stuff changes right? I mean, how many of you have read a book from 30 years ago and you go, that's not true anymore, right? That's, that's the, the reality of knowledge. It's a reality of our limitation of human knowledge. The thing that doesn't change is the truth of scripture. That's what's going to change our life. So let's build each other up with that. There's another thing I see here in verse 15. Uh, in verse 15, it says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what is it that's so compelling about scripture? What is it about this book, this, which is not even one book. It's actually this collaboration of 66 books written by over 40 authors that each were inspired by the very voice of God that God breathed into their lives and they, they wrote down what they were. What is so compelling about this collection of writings. And I think it's this point here that it, that it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the, what makes, I think, this so compelling is that scripture points us to the truth of Jesus, to salvation through Jesus. And it's amazing how across all of these different times that the different books were written, all the different genres that they were written, all of the different circumstances that the writers found themselves in, there is this constant theme throughout the entire Bible that says, you and I are broken. That we are inadequate to achieve our own salvation. That it is only through the grace of God that we can have any hope, but praise God that our God is gracious that he loves us and he created a path for our salvation, not for our own benefit, even for his glory, so that the whole world would look at him and say, wow, that God is amazing. And that path is Jesus. And that path is not earned by any of our good works. It is earned strictly and completely through faith in him alone. And that is the story we see, and that is what we can encourage each other with. And I think that actually keeps us on track as we're reading God's word, right? Because there's, we can take the Bible and make it say anything we want to, right? We've heard that before. We've talked to different people that have come up with all sorts of different um, ideas and concepts based on this book. But focusing on, okay, this is showing us salvation through Christ alone. It gives us focus. It gives us perspective, Let me give a quick example of that. The story of David and Goliath. 
You could read the story of David and Goliath and you could come up with like leadership principles. Maybe some of you have heard talks like this. Okay, it's about using unconventional means to conquer a challenge. It's about um, not underestimating the competition, you know, And, and all those things I think are valid points. But at the core of that story, what is the core message of the story of David and Goliath? It's that God is faithful. That God is the salvation. That, that David didn't have the strength to defeat Goliath on his own, and yet God was faithful to protect his people. That's the message we need to encourage each other with. That's what keeps us on focus. That's what is the content. That's why that content is compelling. It's not just that it's some good principles to live our life. It is our perspective. It is our view of salvation through Christ alone. There's another thing that I think this shows us of why Scripture is is so compelling, and that's that it leads us to life transformation. It makes us complete. Look at what it says in verse 17. It says, so that the man of God or so that the woman of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. Do we believe that as a church? Do we believe that Scripture completes us? It's not our job that completes us. It's not our spouse that completes us. It's not our kids and their good behavior that completes us. It is the word of God and the work it is doing in our life. It is challenging us. It is convicting us of truth. It is drawing us into godliness. That's what is so compelling about this, isn't it? That people are changed. When we come to scripture, it changes us. Now, I I think that also needs to be said that it changes us when we act in obedience to it, right? It's not just a book that we could come and study and look at just from kind of an intellectual place and, and fully get it and fully understand it. It has to be lived out to be fully understood. It's kind of like directions. Have you ever gotten directions based strictly on landmarks? You know what I'm talking about? Like, we don't do that as much with Google Maps anymore, but... I remember one time a friend of mine was telling me where these cave paintings were in the Baja Desert. And literally, this was his directions. Okay, you're going to come to this like oasis thing, and you're going to see a bunch of houses built out of like cactus wood. And go through that town, you're going to go down this valley, um, and you're going to kind of get to the bottom of this valley, it's going to dump you out in the desert, and just drive for like 40, 50 miles, and you're going to come to a place that looks like God just got done with all the rocks in creation and just piled them up. And then look for like a sign that's been shot full of bullet holes and stuff. It's all rusty. You won't be able to read it, but just look for that sign, pull over, hike up the hill a little ways and look for a cave and there will be the cave paintings. I'm like, okay, let's give this a shot. So I remember Beck and I were riding motorcycles and we ride through and sure enough, we go through this town. We're like, oh, okay, there's an oasis. There's buildings built out of cactus wood. This must be what he's talking about. And we drop into the valley and we're driving along. And oh my goodness, look, God piled up all the rocks here. That must be exactly what he was talking about. And we see this old rusty sign with bullet holes in it. And we okay, that must be it. We follow it and we go and find these cave paintings. And I think that that's how scripture works. It's meant to be obeyed. It's meant to be lived out. If we just read scripture just from an intellectual perspective, we miss it. It is so that the the man of God, the woman of God will be made complete in every good work. And that happens when we walk in obedience and we go, that is what scripture was talking about. That is what it meant to love my spouse. That is what it meant 
to love my enemy, to sacrifice, to give. And we can't experience that until we we walk in it. The last thing I want to just say uh, about this passage and as I looked at it is that this kind of compelling content is something we must actively pursue. That there's a responsibility that, that I see throughout the, the book of 2 Timothy. It's not just something for us to know and to internally and personally do. It is something that we have to do in community. It's something that we have to do with each other. It's kind of a give and take. That compelling content, the way it's talked about here, is something that needs to be taught. It's something that needs to be encouraged. It's something that needs to be pursued with each other. Now, this book is written to a pastor, and it can be easy for us to just kind of to say, okay, well, that's something pastors need to do. Pastor's jobs, Nate's job, Ron's job, Ray's job is to stand up here, read God's word, and to teach it and preach it out. Well, that would be nice if God wrote this book just for like 1% of the church. But I don't think that's the point. I don't think that this is the inspired word of God codified in scripture for the last 2,000 years because just a certain small percentage of the church was responsible to obey this. I think this is God's word for all of us. So what does it look like for you in your context to obey this passage? What does that look like? Now, I don't think that looks like we all have to stand up here and give sermons or you got to get on a street corner somewhere or sit your kids in front of you and give a big sermon. And that would be awkward. But what does it look like for us to live this out? In our strategy as a church, we've kind of identified three areas that we really want to focus on. We have our worship gatherings, which are part of here, and we want compelling content to be core to that. We have our impact teams, which are kind of all the different areas, both inside the church and outside the church, where we're trying to live this out. We're trying to be obedient to this content that we're learning, the things that we're growing in. And we have life groups. And life groups are the place where we say we want to gather together. We want to be opening God's word. We want to be reading it, encouraging each other. This is an awesome opportunity. And it doesn't have to be in an official life group. It can be whatever kind of context works for your family. But it's just for us, we feel like, okay, this is one way we can organize, we can create a space, an intentional space for us to live out the truths that we're learning here. How do we find a place for us to encourage each other with grace and truth that leads to transformation? What does that look like? What does that look like for your life? Who is it in your life that you are talking to with this grace and truth, that you are encouraging with that. If not, I would even go as far. Sometimes some of us might say, and I think a lot of us would make the argument, well, I don't really have that much to give. That's not my place. I'm just going to stand back and, and not really encourage people with this kind of grace and truth with compelling content. And I would, I would say that I think that actually is kind of a selfish perspective, I think we are depriving each other of what God is doing in each of our lives if we just hold on to what we are learning for ourselves. I think we're not being obedient to the truth of what this is. It's something that has to be done with grace. That's why we put grace in truth. It's not just about us telling each other because we don't know. We're all broken people. So it's not like any one of us has all the answers which is part of the reason we need each other. We need to be speaking into each other's life. We need to be having discussions going, okay, this week we read this passage of scripture. What is that speaking to us? 
What is that telling us? At the end of our life group, we try to ask this question, kind of the so what question. You know, we don't always do a great job of it, but we kind of, after we get done reading scripture, we go, okay, how is this going to affect our lives? What is God telling us in this? What are we to do about this? And it's really awesome. It's so encouraging to hear other people's perspectives and to see. And sometimes I will come into it from a different perspective. I'll say, I think this is what God is telling me to do this week. And then I'll hear somebody else and I'll go, nope, you're right. That's, that's it. And we need that. So what does that look like? Is it a life group? And if so, I encourage you to join a life group or to, to utilize your life group in that way. Maybe you have some other sort of network of relationships that, that God is calling you to use this in. And if you are, I encourage you to do that. Maybe you're serving in children's ministry or student ministries and you're living this out in that context. But this, I believe, is God's command for all of us. This is a value for us that's going to run deep in who we are as a church. And our prayer and our hope is over the next 20 years, as God is pointing us clearly to a vision that he's laying out for us, that this is deeply part of our DNA. That you might not be able to identify this, but if somebody walks into our church, they might not use the words this, they might not ever say compelling content, but that they would say, you know what, Bridges is a place that, man, people really talk a lot about the Bible. They're really, they don't just talk about the Bible, they're really trying to figure out how to live it out in their lives. That, that's the focus of their conversation. Is that the focus of our conversation? Is that the value that runs deep in our life. And I think when we do, that's where we find true life transformation. That's when we discover the hope of our salvation. So let me close with, with prayer and we'll continue to worship and kind of let these ideas grow a little bit in our soul. God, we praise you. We praise you that you have not abandoned us on this earth, that you have not left us to figure out right from wrong and truth from lie but you've given us your word that you inspired so many different people to pin um, your very breath for us. So I just pray that we, we as a church, that we seek to live this out well, that we're convicted by the things that we should be, that we speak of the things that matter, that we run away from things that are trivial or tear each other down or just lead to um, more ungodliness. God, we trust you and we praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.